when you're entering into the space, come from a place of excitement, but also a form of gratitude to be able to have that opportunity to service other people and to, you know, we're not selling used vacuums or, you know, we're not salespeople here. We have the privilege of creating an experience. And that's something that we never can take for granted. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. Today, I'm excited to have Stephanie Farr, the founder and owner of Maya Lux. Steph, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much, Steve, for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, Steph, we jump right in on it on this podcast. What was your first job in hospitality? I was a hostess at a famous chain of breakfast restaurants in Montreal. Uh, called Shake Cora, and I started at the age of 15. Wow. So you were at 15 hosting. And what do you remember about that? Was there anything that made you nervous? Were you excited about it? Did you like it, not like it? I actually really uh, loved the position being a hostess. I always uh, remembered that I was in the fortunate position of not being the waiter, the bus, the bus girl, bus boy, but being able to greet the guests, or I say guests because that's the lingo I use now in hospitality, but being able to greet our clients the moment they step into the door and just, you know, that was my role, greet them, hi, good morning, and uh, seating them for their, you know, uh, incredible breakfast, which Shakora was one of the top chain restaurants in Montreal known for, um, yeah, just pretty much breakfast all day long. So it was a, it was a privilege for, privilege for me in that moment to know, you know, that that's, this is what I love to do is just, yeah, greet our, greet our clients and, and, uh, set them off on the right foot. And how long did you do that job? I was in that position for about two years. All right. And uh, yeah, it was it was just kind of to make some extra extra cash for uh, for travel and being able to do the things I wanted to do at a young age. Yeah, so listeners out there, I'm sure they see a lot of wild restaurant behavior now on in social media, people misbehaving. Did you ever have that happen to you when you were a hostess as a 15, 16, and 17 year old? That's a great question. We did witness a few people try to skip their bills. Yes. Um, we did witness a couple of arguments of coffee being thrown or, or yeah, just lashing out and hot coffee thrown at their <laughs> significant other. Uh, so I had to bring out that first aid kit. Uh, but I would say that was about it. It's pretty tame in the morning, first thing in the morning. Well, that's good. No one yelled at you. See, I used to have to work at a luxury hotel at, at the front and that we would get the first complaints of the day at the the host stand for my team. So I'm happy to hear it was different in Montreal, maybe a little bit better behaved up there. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just the breakfast. Everyone's too tired at 6 a.m. <laughs> so is that kind of where you got your hospitality itch or was that just kind of a fun job that you had as you were starting out? Yes, to be honest, it was just a fun job. My brother was actually a waiter at that restaurant. So he got me the connection of just, you know, joining as a hostess. But my itch was always really just my love for travel. My parents, um, my dad's from Texas, my mom from uh, born and raised in Canada. But uh, so whenever we had vacation time, we always went to the US to visit my dad's side of the family. 
And we never really got to venture out internationally. And I had this hunger to discover the world. So that was more my inspiration of entering into hospitality was really more my own drive to travel and uh, experience the world. And so that's just kind of how I entered into it. I figured, well, if I can, because my next job in hospitality was was uh, being a real estate, uh, estate travel agent, uh, booking flights and all inclusives. That was really kind of the first step into my career of hospitality in the sense of travel. But yeah, it was really my my own itch to be able to see the world and travel the world. No, I always loved hearing that of when people go and, and find something they actually enjoy doing. So when you were studying at, at Concordia University, was that something that you were thinking about? when you were studying there or were you like, I'm going to get my, you know, I saw you played sports and you got your degree. Was that what you were thinking about doing or just happened to be like, I need a job at a school and this happened to be the one. Actually, it's funny. It's funny that you asked because in between that, I had a business of my own business of cleaning pools in my neighborhood. So it's always funny. If someone says, tell us a fact about yourself that no one would really know. It's like, well, I could tell you anything about cleaning or, you know, fixing for a pump or doing a backwash or, you know, chemical, if, you know, your, your pool turned green. So that was <laughs> it's a random, my expertise. How, how, did, how did that start? So you're hosting at the restaurant and you decide, hey, I'm going to go. Uh, yeah. So a, clean, a cleaning, a pool cleaning company. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was in our local neighborhood. It was something that my cousin and my I, my older brother had had started, but they also then moved on and they had graduated university and they just moved to different cities. So it was something that I took over, but I also decided, okay, I'm going to grow this thing um, where I also didn't want to be the person that's in the front lines of cleaning the pools. So I started to, I hired a couple of other students to help and it was was in our community. It was in our um, neighborhood. So I had about 30 clients cleaning their pools twice or three times a week. It was an incredible disposable income for myself at that age. And again, the drive was really about, okay, you know, I don't want to be dependent on my parents at this point. And um, I want to basically create my own future and do what I want. So when I was studying in university, that was my summer job. It was just cleaning pools. And then throughout the winter, spring break, I basically would just pick up and travel when I could through my classes and through school. And yeah, so that was kind of, you know, just from being an entrepreneur, that was, I would say, one of the first opportunities that I had to get to experience to run my own company. I mean, it's, it's amazing. So a lot of people out there are like, wow, that's so cool. I'm going to start. But that, you know, people call out, don't show up when they're supposed to. How did you handle that at that age? Were you showing up and cleaning the pools because you had to because it was your company? I did. I did. And it's, again, it's, you know, it's Friday afternoon and uh, the owners of the pool or, you know, the house will call me and say, Hey, my pool's dirty. I have guests arriving. What's going on? And then of course I just have to hop on or rollerblade or bike over to the house and, <laughs> and uh, like yeah, it. exactly. And uh, clean the pools. So yeah, it's, that's when I first got to experience what it meant to take responsibility um, and show face and build a solid reputation because that's pretty much everything in your business. Yeah, and it's good practice for what you're doing now. You, you never know where the jobs you had before lead you to today. And we'll get to that part of the story, but I'm, I like hearing the journey. And so you get out of university and then what happens? So what do you start doing? So I actually, my last semester at university, I uh, saved my last courses to do an exchange program in Mexico, in Mazatlan, Mexico. Uh, which is Sinaloa. Funny enough, it's the capital. It's uh, <laughs> the capital of where the drug war takes place. Yeah, and the I cartel, really, I was going to say. Yeah, <laughs> I was really uh, disconnected and innocent at that point. I would say I was 21. And I decided I really just want to venture out and do something different. So I studied, I basically did my last semester before graduating in Mexico. I studied international business and hospitality for that last semester. And I moved in with a family that didn't speak a word of English. I didn't speak a word of Spanish. So I had no choice but to learn really quickly. I fell in love with the culture. I fell in love with studying tourism. I was learning Spanish at the same time. And um, when that semester, when school had finished and I basically graduated, I had the entire summer off. I basically decided to travel with a couple of other students that I had met. We traveled to Central America. It was a little bit unique. We hitchhiked basically all the way down to Costa Rica. So it was quite the journey. It was, uh, my parents probably still don't know to this day, you know, 
about the hitchhiking. <laughs> that was going to be my next uh, question. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of like, again, my now my next venture into travel. And uh, this was really the first time where I really got to venture out and experience new cultures, immersed into the cultures. And I really fell in love with Mexico. And I was, you know, when I went back to Montreal after two months of traveling Central America, that's when I decided, okay, I really... I really want to discover the world. Like this was just kind of the beginning. Um, so I knew at that point that whatever I did for myself, I needed to be able to be my own boss, really generate enough income for myself where I could just pick up and travel when I wanted. And um, that's kind of what helped me fall into the next uh, chapter in my life, which was entering into the villa rental space. I mean, I love this story because like we were just talking about the pool company and now you're talking about you just happened to pick Mexico. Was there any other choices that you could go to or was Mexico the place that you had to go? I did. I had Australia. That was an option, but it was kind of like a compromise with my mom. She's a Lebanese mother that like just wants to cocoon her kids and, you know, always wants to keep them close. And, you know, so it was uh, it was funny because I, I promised her I'd compromise, but I just find it ironic that you know, she allowed me to go to like, you know, Sinaloa, the capital yeah. <laughs> War, instead of going to Australia, even though, cause it was for her, it was just, I'm going to the Too opposite. Far. End. Yeah, exactly. So, but I was really set on learning a new language. I speak English, French, and, and I, you know, I knew that, uh, I'd love, you know, I was wanting to pick up on Spanish and yeah. And so I've been to Montreal, a beautiful city, very European and Mexico, very different. So what made you fall in love with what you were seeing around Mexico when you were there? I think it was, um, number one, the culture. Uh, growing up with a Lebanese family, you know, we're super centered around our family. Everything also revolves around food and coming together. And, and you know, I felt so close to my own culture being in Mexico. And, um, mm. you know, just how every Sunday it's all about being with the family, even the siestas during the week. So my uh, host parents would come home for two hours and have lunch together and the cousins would be together. And this is during the week. So these small things that we, you know, we take for granted spending time with our close, like with our loved ones, but to be able to do that on a week, on a daily basis and make that intention to spend that time with each other. I just fell in love with that. Um, just such a warm culture. And um, yeah, I love the music, the Latin vibe. Um, I get, I got to travel to different cities around the area and um, also just being in the tropics was, you know, going from Montreal, freezing cold weather to getting to experience a winter in the tropics was also just, uh, you know, a gift coming from minus 30 degree weather. Yeah, I don't know how you do it up there. Um, but cause I'm in Miami, so I'm, anytime it gets below 40, um, it's freezing yeah. to me. So I think 40 <laughs> is my number. But so as you're going around Central America, you know, I think maybe some of the listeners might say, man, it's kind of scary. I don't know if I want to visit. You know, I see these things in the news that they maybe portray the worst case scenarios. What, how do you see it when you were traveling around and even now? How do you see it down there? I mean, I'm not going to lie, Central America, especially in Honduras, and we we're in the capital of Honduras, you know, we were, there's curfews. At that time, there were curfews where you have to get off the streets because it's too dangerous. I think that was a little bit different than, it was also a little bit of naivety, you know, just being, you know, a couple of young kids traveling at the age of 21 and hitchhiking. And I laugh at it now because I'm just like, wow, I can't believe I'm alive to tell the story today. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, where I ended up in Mexico here, I feel completely safe. I know there's so much going on in the media, but, um, you know, my brother had also, one of my brothers had moved here. He's raised his kids here in a gated community where they have so much more freedom than they would in any U.S. city, even in Montreal, way more freedom, you know, they mm -hmm. have here, just being able to get on their bikes and ride around with friends and even drive golf carts at the age of seven and you know, to That's go awesome. visit their friend's house. And mm -hmm. yeah, so I, I'm fortunate to get to see a different perspective living here and, um, you know, being close to my brother, raising a family here. And of course, you know, with our community, it's a tight community here and, and just witnessing and seeing how, you know, incredible it is for kids to grow up here. It's, it's, um, yeah. So I love it. It's, right. it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, you know, like I said, there's a lot of heat that we're receiving from the media, but mm -hmm. You know, anyone you don't who comes see it day to day. Not yeah. at all. I, I live in Miami and there's a lot of things going on here too that not everybody knows about. So, and every right. major city is like that. So let's get back on your journey. 
So you yes. decide, all right, I'm going to be my boss, my own boss. I'm going to have my own company. What do you do? Well, I that was the intention when I got home from uh, my two-month stint of hitchhiking Central America. And I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to just basically get a job for a couple of months. And I'm going to then make enough money to continue to travel because that was my one focus. First, I just want to travel the world before I settle and, and start my own company. I started with a, a wholesale travel company in Montreal. I was in week two, week three. I was killing it, growing in the ladder. And I, I knew for me, this was just a, you know, a two, three month stint. And I was very transparent with them. Um, but I was still moving along really quickly in the company. And a friend of mine that I studied with at Concordia in marketing, he had approached me and said, hey, Steph, I have um, my girlfriend works for this company called Caribbean Way. I really highly suggest you check it out seems they're hiring in marketing. I graduated with a major in marketing and uh, also in finance. So he was like, I really suggest you go check it out. It's a really young group. Um, I was like, you know what? I honestly, I just want to stay focused on this two month, three month job that I have. And then I'm going to pick up and travel. I really, you know, I'm not here to look for a career right now. And um, he was like, just, just go for an interview. That's all I'm asking you to do. Go, go for this interview. And I said, fine, I'll go for this interview, but I'm just letting you know that most likely it's it's going to be a no, but I don't want to close the door to anything. So I went for this interview and um, it was this tiny little condo in old Montreal and uh, had my interview that I, at the time I was 22 and the guy that interviewed me, he was about 23, 24. And he was like, yeah, hey, we have this company called Caribbean Way. We rent villas. Do you know what that is? And I was like, um, not really. I think you just like, run hotels like I didn't even understand the concept of villas back then myself so he said no we actually rent private homes and um, we're basically looking for someone to help sign on individual homeowners and um, expand our portfolio in the Caribbean so I said hmm sounds interesting um, I'll think about it and this is before but, Airbnb really took off this is before oh, all oh, yeah. the home sharing right Airbnb didn't exist uh, I think there was mm -hmm. a company called like couch surfing at the time that yeah. I actually even used myself. I remember but, that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, Airbnb didn't exist. This was still a really incredibly foreign concept. Um, so I almost thought like, is this even legit? It's almost like I'm working out of someone's house, like private homes, renting, who rents their private home? You know, like I've never even heard of this. So I was like, okay, you know what? I was called in for a second interview. And uh, again, now the guy who interviewed me, you know, he's again, wearing a nice dress shirt, but uh, Bermuda shorts below. He's just sitting at his desk, like super casual, also 24 years old. He's like, so my brother founded this company and we're looking to grow it and scale it. And we'd love for you to join and help us sign on more properties. So I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to go for it. So I quit my other job and I started at this company called Caribbean Way. And my job was to sign on individual private homeowners with, uh, we only had at that time, we were only renting properties in the Caribbean, such as Barbados, Dominican Republic, Turks and Caicos, just a few other islands, but it was a very tight network of, of properties that we were working with or destinations for that matter. So that was my job. I had to go in and, and basically phone call, cold call homeowners that we found. I don't know how I found it on the internet, but homeowners that had these properties in the Caribbean and at the time it was like, Hey, you know, can you send us or mail us photos of your house? Um, and this is pictures coming from the Caribbean all the way to Montreal. So by the time we received photos like two months later, cause we always had to review the properties before onboarding them. Cause Caribbean way was focused on luxury, luxury villa rentals. And so that's kind of how my career started in the, the villa rental space. Um, and I was with this company for five years. So what was supposed to be only a few months ended up being a five-year career for me. And they transferred me to different destinations in the Caribbean. Then instead of, we went from Caribbean way to luxury retreats because the company decided, or the owners decided, well, we want to expand to other areas. And if we're going to be in Europe, we can't be called Caribbean way. So we're going to, we're called luxury retreats. So yeah, I basically helped them expand different destinations in the Caribbean and the U.S., um, pretty much all around the world. 
That's amazing. Um, so you're receiving pictures and I'm sure it got more sophisticated as you went because you were there through, like I said, five years, I think January 2008 was kind of like the time when you exited. So still Airbnb was just starting in 2008. So you still were way ahead of the curve there. Once you had the homes, you were marketing them, right? And were other companies marketing them too? Or was it, hey, you're signing up with us only and we have act, we control your calendar so you can control the whole experience or were you competing against others? We did have a couple of other competitors, and that's a great question. It really, at the time, there were no calendars. Uh, as it sounds so crazy when you think about it, but there were no calendars. And so we were actually the pioneers of building the calendar system. Because what would happen is I would, you know, sign on these properties. We would, you know, present them to our sales team. We called them villa specialists. And we would say, hey, guys, here's these new villas. And then they would go to block, tell the homeowner, hey, you know, we have a booking for you. But then the homeowner would say, oh, I already booked it with this other company. And so these guys were, you know, the bill specialists, like, well, what's the point of us doing our job if we don't have the availability? So we said, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to build a calendar. We're going to invest in building the system. And this is really what brought Luxury Treats. We were ahead of the game with all the competitors because we built this calendar system and then we implemented in the contract with the homeowners to say, you have to update our calendar real time and we have access to book the villa if it's available without double checking with you. So essentially, if the calendar's not updated, it's your fault and essentially we override any booking we have. Now, what happened with that feature is that gave us really so one, we almost, it's almost like giving us the first right where all the other competitors are calling the homeowners. We now have access to real-time availability where we're just booking it and we're booking those villas real-time. Um, so that's what really helped us grow as a company and set us apart from our competition. Um, we did have competitors slowly. We had the laggers, but we were always the number one company in the villa rental space. Which, I love hearing that. Yeah, in 2017, uh, Luxury Treats got bought out by Airbnb. It is really an incredible success story because Joe, the founder of Luxury Treats, I mean, he started this off in his basement and uh, yeah. Yeah, so and Bermuda just, shorts. Yeah, Bermuda yeah, shorts exactly. and, and a house. I love exactly. hearing those stories. Tiny but, little you know, condo. Yeah. I think for a lot of people out there, you know, they take for granted what, what tools are out there now and all of the systems that are out there. Because, you know, when you were starting, I, I had friends in that industry. It was really hard. <laughs> to be able to do it. Cause you would book something, get excited because you're getting a commission, right? Isn't that how yes. your model was? Yes. And they would say it's booked. And so yeah. then there is no commission. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you're there for your five years. It seems like you're doing a great job. You're growing the company. It's a successful company. What happens? What changes in your world that you decide to leave? So I still always had that itch to travel. I never got rid of it. Um, so even though, yes, I went on a few vacations and I was fortunate to be able to travel with the company, um, there was still something within me that was like, you know what, I, I need to take this time. So I asked to take a sabbatical and uh, I said, look, I'm going to take a two, three month sabbatical. It's not guaranteed that I'll come back, but of course, you know, let's see where it takes us. And they were super supportive of it. And um, so I basically just took off in 2000, it was around 2007, 2008. And I just started to travel. I traveled the world for about a year and a half. It ended up being a year and a half. And so when you say that, did you have a plan of where you were going? Or was it similar to your time of, hey, I'm going to hitchhike through Central America? Or were you doing it a little different this time? So it was probably, I would say the first couple of the first few months was planned. And then I would say, and it was just kind of, you know, winging it. The last few months was definitely winging it. I ended up in India and just got lost in India. I fell in love with the the, uh, the country, the culture, you know, and it just, uh, it really was probably one of the most incredible experiences I ever had. And yeah, I, I really, I'm a true firm believer of spontaneity and just seeing where things take you. And that's pretty much where, how I got to where I am today. So as you're on that journey, do you start having some thoughts and like an epiphany hits you that this is what I want to do next? Or, hey, I'm, no. not, I'm definitely never going back to luxury retreats. What happens on that yeah. trip? I knew I said, you know, I want to do something different for myself. I was like, I'm, I'm done with luxury hospitality. It's a, it's, it's a tough industry. Um, it's a two-sided business. Um, so for me, you know, I always worked on the homeowner side. And, you know, in this industry, the homeowners really is the business. Without our villas, we don't we don't have our guests or our clients. And so for me, I felt like I really just wanted to do something different, try something new. 
Um, so when I finished my travels, I came to Mexico. I came to Riviera Maya because when I when Luxury Treats had transferred me here before I quit or before I went to travel, uh, my brother came to visit me. And he fell in love with it and decided to move here. So he packed up all his stuff and moved here uh, when I was still working with Luxury Retreats. So when I was traveling and then I finished my travels, I decided to come and visit him and just, you know, hang out for a couple of weeks. And I ended up meeting up with a homeowner that I had worked with previously, Luxury Retreats. And we just, you know, we had dinner. She said, you know, Steph, one thing that I was thinking of where there's a real demand here is to build a a concierge company so that we are able to cater to the companies like luxury retreats or you know a couple of other wholesalers like Phil's distinction the you know the main the main pioneers in the industry that was one of the biggest lacks in the industry you're catering to luxury it's a private home but for companies that offer different destinations like luxury retreats where you could rent a house for five thousand a night in St. Bart's, and then they have a repeat client that wants to rent a house in Mexico, let's say Riviera Maya for five thousand a night. There's no guarantee. It's not like a hotel brand where you're going to get the same standard. And so the brand is really subject to what a homeowner considers to be luxury. And that's very risky when you're trying to build a, you know, your, your database of repeats or just set a standard as a luxury villa rental company. So this villa owner, she had cracked the code in luxury in terms of everything from chef in villa, butler, she had her own villa manager. I mean, it was her, the experience for the guests was just unparalleled. So she said, I think we have a shot if we could build a concierge business where we're offering the concierge services to companies like Luxury Retreat so that they could trust the standard. So we do quality control inspections. You know, we give them a report of what's needed in each villa. And then we're there to offer the on-site concierge service as though we're Luxury Retreats uh, or as though we're the other wholesale companies. So smart. Yeah. So at the time I was like, just getting, I was just finishing my travels and I was like, ah, but I also, I also racked up a big, big credit card bill, you know, with all my travels getting carried away um, because I obviously extended my trip a lot longer than I thought it would be. So I said, you know what, let's try it. I always wanted to do something. I love Mexico. I really love this villa owner. I mean, she was an incredible owner to work with. Um, we both were aligned in, you know, our visions and the standard for what we wanted to create. So I had approached luxury retreats and I said, what do you, you know, I was still very close with them. They're still to this day, very close friends. So I said, Hey, what do you think of this concept? And they loved it because of course it's helping them, you know, just increase the standard and offer a trusted service to their guests. So that's how we started. We were a concierge company. So we just started very small and in 2009, Swine flu hit. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, swine I remember flu. swine flu. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was really where the company started. It's almost like a full circle with these pandemics. Yeah, um, we started on swine flu anniversary. All right. So that's good. Good way to start. But I want to go back one step because there's a lot of people who have an idea like I want to start something and they don't know what that really entails. So they think, oh, I'm going to get this startup office and I'm going to have this beautiful place. Where were you working from when you started? Was it? a desk in someone's home? Were you at the villa? Were you at a bunch of different places? What was the scene like for you when you were starting? Um, so my business partner's husband already had a business of his own and he had a tiny little office. So he welcomed us to use one or two desks in his office mm -hmm. space. But we also worked, I mean, even back in the day, you know, from remote work, that's how we were working. It was, it was out of a cafe. Uh, we would work from her villa. It was very inspiring to work from her house as well, because we also had the services, you know, she had a full-time chef. Yep. So the office meant getting, you know, a nice lunch prepared for ourselves. Yeah, or, Miss Steph, what can I get for you today? Yeah, exactly. I was like, wow, this mm -hmm. is really the life. But, you know, ultimately when starting from that level and starting small, it's not about not thinking big. It's just taking whatever tiny step you can in order to get started. Because if we thought, okay, we have to get this big office or we have to have our website ready, you're always waiting for the next thing in order to say, I'm going to start, you know, or I'm going to get started. So for us, it was just the tiny little steps and the tiny little seeds. That's really what, you know, we needed to plant in order to flourish to where we were at. And I have to say that was one thing that we did really well. You know, we didn't have a website. We didn't even, we just had our 
our name was even different back then. I think it was like called Con Premier Concierge Riviera Maya or something. I can't remember mm -hmm. what it was called back then. But, you know, we didn't even have the website. We just, what we did was we just plugged our services in with our partners, with the wholesalers. So it was more of like a B2B at the time. So yeah, it was just really about what can we do to plant these little seeds in order for us to get started? Because if we just keep thinking, you know, the momentum, we just, the most important thing was to get the momentum to start, start somewhere. Mm -hmm. I love that advice. And so as you're planting these seeds and getting things going and trying things out, was there a moment that you remember like, Hey, we're actually doing this. Like this is working. Was there a time like that? Or was it right off the bat where you knew it was going to work? I knew it was going to work right off the bat because there was, I knew that there was a need. There was really a need for what these companies, you know, that was the lack. We found a lack. We found just kind of like a void in their operation. And we knew that this, it was a win-win. It was a win-win-win even for the guests. So for the partners, mm -hmm. it was a win. For the guests, it was a win. And for us, of course, it was a win because, you know, we knew that overnight we could just, with just a flip of a switch that we could offer these services. Because also my business partner at the time, she had the team. And she just, it was very easy for us to scale and say, okay, let's just hire one more concierge. We have a chef we have. So if her house wasn't booked, we just put the chef in another villa um, or we put the butler in another villa. Uh, she acted as the concierge at the time too. So that's the other piece when you're starting, you know, it's just all about getting your hands dirty and, um, you know, just diving right into what you need to dive into and wearing all different hats. And so was the business model just kind of taking a piece of every activity that was booked or sold? Is it that kind of how you started? Yes. yes. So that was our revenue model was we would take a cut for all the, so the partners, the wholesalers didn't have to pay a fee to us. We just took the commission for all the services that we sold. And it was a commission share with the partners. Very cool. That's a smart way to do business. So as you start to, you continue to grow that, when does it start to evolve um, into what you're it doing started now? Yeah, so it started to evolve with swine flu. Um, so in 2009, with swine flu kicked in, it was also the economic crisis. There was a little bit of everything happening at the same time. Um, also, there was, again, at that time, concern for safety. So it was a multitude of factors where uh, the demand for the area just pretty much came to a halt. And villa owners were experiencing, villa owners that knew that I was in the area um, because they'd known me previously from luxury retreats and they knew I was in the area, just reached out and said, we're desperate. We need help. Our villas are empty. We have no zero occupancy right now. Is there anything you think you could do to help us to maximize our rentals? So for me at the time I was, you know, we were just trying to stay focused on what we did, but we had a couple, this is maybe two, three owners. They were very good friends. Everyone knows everyone here in this area. But two, three owners, they were very good friends with my business partner as well. Um, and they just said, listen, we, we're asking you to please manage our properties, take over the rentals, whatever you could do, because you guys, you know, Steph has the expertise on the marketing side, the business development side. And my partner, she had the expertise on the operational side. So um, we said, look, we'll help you. It's not our business model, but we'll see what we could do. And we'll try to, you know, generate some more rentals for you. So what we ended up doing was plugging in the properties with all the wholesalers that we knew were out there and really just helping them man saying, we'll manage your calendar for you. We'll be the go-to So managing exclusively your calendar. Let us take everything over for you. And we'll plug it in with all the distribution channels that we know of. And so that's how it started. It was just a few villas. So we basically just said, you know, give us your calendars. We're going to manage everything. So we're going to be a turnkey solution for you. So we'll take care of all the services. And we're going to plug your villa into all the distribution channels. So that's all the wholesalers that I had a connection with that we we're already plugging in our services with because not every villa owner knew about all the different partners in the, in, in the industry. So that's just basically what we did in order to kick off to increase some of the occupancy or increase the rentals for them. That's a cool way to kind of pivot and transition. Did you have a moment where you thought like, oh, I really don't want to do this part of the business or was it like, all right, I actually do want to do this part. They're very different for listeners. Maybe you can explain what you were thinking. Yes. So one, which was just concierge services. So it's basically when we say we're offering a standard and we're offering services on site, it means quality control. So checking to see if the villa is up to standard for guests to arrive. Are all the ACs working? Is there hot water? 
Is the internet working? Um, these are all little things that you know a guest may take for granted when you're stepping foot into a hotel. For, but you know, from a private home, if a home is not rented, let's say for a month, two months, who's checking to make sure that everything's working before a guest arrives? So there's all these little you know um, moving pieces in a villa rental that maybe to the guests they're not 100% aware of what needs to take place behind the scenes. So for us, that was one of the main roles that we played was just making sure the house was up to standard. The next now is offering a service to the guests. So when the guest arrives to the villa, it's a meet and greet. Uh, we're here to show you the villa. We're here to welcome you with cold towels and margaritas and guacamole and nach and, and salsa on site. And uh, we wanna take you on a tour for the house. We also want to grocery shop and pre-stock the villa with any grocery that you guys want. If you want to have a chef, we'll take care of, you know, we'll send you the menus in advance and you basically get to pick the meals that you want on arrival. And then you could also have a dialogue with the chef on site to book, you know, or to confirm whatever menus that you want or a butler and a waiter and to serve you. These are little things that a lot of people will not know that's available for them. And um, our goal was to be able to offer any type of service to enhance the stay for our guests. Love it. So you've got all these services going and you're, you're doing it for these two properties. When does it start to evolve into like, all right, I think we can do this for more people. Yes. Yeah, so it essentially then became more homeowners. We weren't proactive in, in bringing the homeowners because again, we, our focus was just services, but again, more homeowners than were, were approached approaching us because they really want to figure out how to build or how to bring in more rentals for their for their property. Because also take in mind, this is in 2005, Hurricane Wilma hit the area. So it completely destroyed the destination and homeowners had to rebuild their properties. So by the time it took maybe about two years for them to get their houses back on the market. And then 2008, 2009 is when swine flu hit. So it was just really such a challenging time for them to, to begin to get that momentum back for their, for their homes, um, back on the rental market. So a lot of them were just desperate and trying to figure out what can we do to generate some income for our properties. So that really was where we came in and, and that was my expertise. My business partner was the services on site. And for me, it was the marketing and the business development side. So that's where our partnership really came into play because it was her getting to do what her native genius was, which is the five-star service. And for me, it was the marketing and, and business development for our homeowners. So when does it start to develop into Maya Lux? When do you start making that change into what you are today? Yes. So we shifted to Maya Lux when we had about five villas in our portfolio and we said, okay, let's face it. We're going to be a villa rental company. We're going to call we're basically a, a property management company what is a property management company it's a company that basically is specific to a destination and they offer a 360 degree solution for their homeowners which is maintenance um management admin uh taking care of the concierge service and also managing the calendars for the homeowner so we basically then said okay we're a property management company we need to shift. We're no longer just concierge, premier, uh, Riviera yeah. Maya. <laughs> yeah. So we then came up with the name Maya Lux, uh, Riviera Maya. We're focused on the Mayan Riviera and we're also catered to just luxury. We wanted to maintain a niche of luxury properties and not just take any villa into our portfolio. Um, we scaled really slowly. We said, let's just, we want to do what we do really well. And make sure that, you know, if we're going to offer five properties, we're the best at what we do. If it's going to be 10, we're the best at what we do. But if at any point in time, uh, our service, sorry, our service starts to, you know, decline um, or not meet the standard that we're looking to, then we need to, you know, keep a cap at the properties that we're, that we're servicing or that we're catering or we're offering or plugging in with our partners. And we were still B2B. We were still only plugging our villas in with wholesalers, travel agents, um, we didn't have our website yet. So again, that took it took about two years for us to launch our website. And that's when we started to do our own keywords and, and advertising, um, digital marketing. And we started to generate some leads for our, for our website and do direct business. I love it. And so as you start to build, are you, I said B2B, are, do you ever start getting using the VRBO platforms and Airbnb and the other channels to bring in clients and then try to convert them? Or are you always going through wholesale, travel, um, agents, what was your model? 
We always stuck to wholesale. So the wholesale, the wholesale market is also, when we say wholesalers, they're specific to luxury villas. Um, so any agent, or we call them still villa specialists that work with a wholesaler, they're really well-versed to the area. They know the destination. They know the villas. They've come to visit. They've done fam trips. So we always stuck with that niche. And we seldom used VRBO and Airbnb. Uh, I would say, if anything, more VRBO because VRBO I mean, existed longer. And so we did have a couple of homeowners that already had their VRBO accounts. So they basically gave us their, their accounts for VRBO. And so we just continued to help you know, generate some leads through VRBO. But it was nothing proactive or aggressive. It was just more whatever comes in. It was more defense mode. Whatever comes in, we'll take. Our main goal was to stick to the wholesalers, the travel agents, and then whatever type of direct marketing we could do. That's amazing because I know a lot of listeners are going to be very jealous because they're actively trying to stop using some of those channels and to build more of a direct booking platform. Yes. Any tips for those people listening right now that you think you can give? Maybe not a whole business plan, but any one or two tips that they could start with? Well, I would say number one is understand your own model. Who's your audience? If you want to go into the niche luxury market, then my suggestion is to step out of, you know, commercial, we call them mass market, you know, OTAs, which are like Airbnb. There is Airbnb Lux, which was luxury treats. That's that's luxury treats, essentially. It's Mm -hmm. Airbnb Lux. That is a little bit also focused on, it is luxury, but the difference is that you're still the villas are still uh, diluted in 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 a you know a vast market and even with you know with Airbnb Lux you really you know you want to be able to, to give that that attention to your client that you know I feel like that's what's lost is everything's done through instant book you barely get to speak to anybody anymore so you know my suggestion is to consider building your own website. It's not hard. There's a lot of templates out there that you can use. Um, You could even start with your own social media channels, whether it's on Instagram, Facebook, start to do your own ads through there. Whatever you could do to generate direct leads and start to just, you know, it doesn't have to be a huge investment. Like I mentioned, a website could be a template and uh, social media can also be, you know, that's super easy to build your, your business platform on Instagram where you could start to do some ads. Just add some pictures. It's all about creating the experience. Um, it's all about showing, you know, using stories. Um, if you could take whatever, not just photos, but videos and really showcasing what the experience is of, you know, touching the emotion of the client, that's really the best place to start because, Yes, it's almost, you know, using these additional channels as much as, yes, they do generate business. Sometimes you could feel like you're held hostage. Uh, your business is held hostage with these platforms. Gosh, that's great advice. So listeners, just rewind that back for the last minute and a half and just start with those and just get started, right? Steph, you said it a couple of times. Just get started. Try it out. It doesn't cost much to, to figure out if you can start doing it. So tell me about where my Lux is today. How is it looking now? So we've got this fun journey. We've, we've learned about it. Where is it at today? Um, cause I see it thriving and I love everything you got online, which I want to bring up too of what you're doing online, but tell me where you're at today. So today we're the largest luxury villa rental company in Riviera Maya. Um, we uh, feature over 155 villas in the destination. Uh, we have still maintained the luxury niche aspect of our business. The minimum nightly rate per bedroom. We always say per bedroom is $200. So if it's a five bedroom, the minimum that we would um, onboard a villa would have to be $1,000 a night. But the most, the most important aspect of our business is the service. And it's incorporating a full experience for our guests. It's not just about renting a house. We always say the villa is just, you know, the four walls and the roof. It's what magic we can make happen inside the house or outside the house for the guests. And that's main, our main focus because that's really how we differentiate ourselves is what type of experience we could offer to our guests. And, you know, luxury is a term that's, you know, very loosely used, but luxury, luxury is a, has a different meaning for any type of guests that we welcome into our, into our homes. So, you know, we try to understand and really get to know who our clients are in order to say we offer that luxury experience. Um, it's not just about the type of linens or having, you know, X screen TVs in the bedrooms or 
you know, it's, it's really about what that experience looks like for a guest, whether it's disconnecting completely from their real world, that's a luxury. If it's just to be able to have a chef service and have every meal catered for them, yes, that's a luxury. For others, it's just about getting out and exploring the destination. So we really, when we say we're a luxury villa rental company in the de destination, luxury is a term that we really try to cater to the different needs of our guests and what they're looking for. And when people hear luxury villas, they must say, I can never afford that. I can never get out there and, and be into a luxury villa. Would you say that that's the case? Like, hey, it's not for everybody or is it for everybody? What, how would you kind of explain that? I do say it's for everyone. Uh, it's an a la carte experience. So it's whatever you want to make of it. There is a misconception that we can't afford this luxury villa, but really, like I mentioned, if you have, if you're a party of 10, 10 friends and you're renting a villa for a thousand a night, that's a hundred dollars per person. Really, it's, it's hard to find a three-star hotel here for a thousand dollars, sorry, for a hundred dollars per night per person. And so we really try to aim at offering that five-star service for our guests, regardless of what price range the villa is. So if you rent a villa at a thousand a night versus 10,000 a night, we still offer the same service for our guests. Um, of course, there'll be add-ons and some perks and all that for the, you know, the elite, the elite, we call them the, the high, high-end properties, the VVIPs, but it really is caters to everyone. And the biggest piece that I want to focus on and mention is, you know, the experience inside the villa. So if you're staying at a hotel, the food and beverage, you know, the F&B at a property, I mean, you're sometimes spending half your, your hotel rates or night is, or even equivalent to the hotel night or nightly rate is on food and drinks. Whereas at a villa, you're buying, you know, at grocery or at retail price, the food, and um, you have a chef that's there to prepare the meals if you choose to have a chef. But that, that's the piece is you're saving on food and beverage when you're staying at a, at a private home. And you could have, you know, the customized service. You're not, you're, you're 10 guests. You have one chef for 10 guests versus going to a restaurant, you know, or if you're eating at the hotel, Steve, you know, the hotel business better than I do, but it's, it's definitely uh, more of a a la carte customized experience at almost the same rate that you'd be spending at a hotel, if not cheaper food and beverage. You hit a lot of good points, a lot of good points. And I know as I'm listening to you, I'm already imagining myself there. And I know listeners, maybe we all meet up down there. We'll have to contact Steph as we get excited for it. And there's something I wanted to point out on your website, which I like, because I talk a lot about experiences and like, and I had uh, this term that some, one of the first guests on my podcast, you, but flirting with you before you get here. And I think that your website does a good job of that. You have some VR experiences that I like seeing some of like the, the video that you have to create that excitement. You also have a magazine on there. Was that, well, I would say it was intentional because you made it, but how do you see that playing into getting people excited about travel? So our theory is, and our philosophy is that the vacation starts the moment, not they step foot in the villa, but when they step foot on our website. So it's really about how can we make this journey, this user journey easy and inspiring at the same time. And so the features and the photos that we, so number one, every villa that we upload onto our website is taken by a professional photographer. So we try to maintain the same style of photos um, in, as inspiring as possible. And um, the same with the VR, it's be able to walk through the villa before you even book the villa or before you step foot into the villa so you have an understanding of what the space offers and really also from you know the magazine side it's about telling stories it's really about creating that experience before the guests step foot into the house and that's our motto is the vacation starts and even with our team members you know we constantly remind every team member whether it's from the sale point to the concierge point the pre-arrival as well taking all you know doing all the pre-arrival questionnaire with the guests which is you know, dietary restrictions or when are your the flight details because we book transportation for them. Everything has to be seamless and easy. It's not, you know, we're here to complicate things before your arrival and then your vacation starts. The, mm -hmm. the philosophy is really it starts the moment you connect with Myalux and us welcoming you into our community. I can see you're doing a good job of the before I even book because I'm excited to book now. But you know, you've spent a lot of time with me today. I appreciate I know how busy you are, but I have one last question for you, Steph. So you truly have been around the world and you've had all these amazing experiences, but if young Steph had just finished her hitchhiking experience and was coming to work for your company, so young Steph was joining your team today, what advice would you give her about starting off in hospitality? 
The number one, I would say, is it's always a privilege to be able to work in hospitality because you are really helping, and as cliche and cheesy as it sounds, but you really are contributing and helping someone's dream come true. Um, like it was my dream to travel the world. And anyone along that along that journey, I really, I, I remember whether, you know, it was a, it was a, a hostel or it was a guest house in India. I remember every single touch point along that journey. And so what I say is when you're entering into the space, come from a place of excitement, but also a form of gratitude to be able to have that opportunity to service other people and to, you know, we're not selling used vacuums or, you know, we're not salespeople here. We're actually, we have the privilege of creating an experience. And that's something that we never can take for granted. And I always say, whenever we have new team members coming in, it really is such a privilege. We're not just a hotel, for example, where we're booking, you know, two guests at a time. We have some villas that are 15 bedrooms. And so to be able to welcome 30 people on vacation to build an experience for our guests, that is something that we can never take for granted and see it from a place of gratitude. And so that is the type, that's what I always say it's, it's and to focus on hospitality, vacations, building what I, I call, and again, I don't want to sound cliche, but we do help deliver happiness and make dreams come true. So that's always when I say for someone coming in to join our team, is you know it's a privilege and and enjoy it and and learn from there and and build on your career from there well, i love it well steph i appreciate you taking the time to join me today um, if somebody wants to connect with you what's the best way for them to reach out to you uh my personal email uh steph at myalux s-t-p-h at myalux that would be the best and uh we could start from there all right. Well, Steph, again, thank you so much for spending time with me thank and you, talking Steve. to us about your journey. I'm grateful to have spent this time with you. Thank you so much. Really grateful to be on here. This podcast is brought to you by Biscayne Coffee. Biscayne Coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome.